Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And welcome to All Sats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Ellen Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm Tom Hossikundel, the podder who wasn't on the preview of the podcast, who will tell us how much I privately predicted this outcome. <laughs> and I'm joined today by the podder who was bullish about Rutter on the podcast, Martin Riley. He's still not backing off. In fact, he's doubling down. And finally... I'm joined by the Potter, who is thankful we didn't lose against a team of League One players, but still stopped us from scoring. It's Adam Elliott. How are you, Adam? Yeah, I did. I did say there are a bunch of League One players plus Barry Bannon, didn't I? Um, yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm as all right as someone can be who's also said that we should get 11 points from our first five games when I first saw the fixtures come out, irrespective of what transfer business and activity we had done. And we've got six points with one win. We've also beat the team that I think is the hardest on paper as well. So we're just a bit of a weird football club at the moment, aren't we? Wouldn't, wouldn't be Leeds United if we weren't. Um, but yeah, you asked us not to bring that up and you brought it up yourself. So you've taken <laughs> that bullet for yourself there. Yeah. Yeah, Martin, how are you? I'm doing very good. Um, yeah, I've had some nice food. We had just finished eating before recording. I had a nice uh, butcher's burger with some McCain chips. And yeah, it was very, very tasty. And yeah, it's... I enjoyed I enjoyed the game mostly, even though it wasn't the best result. But yeah, I enjoyed it overall. Yeah, I think it was one of those games which, uh, and we'll, we'll get into it. But there was some some really good stuff that we can take out of it. What did you eat, Hosty, tonight? Well, I um, I had I'm trying to I tried to have I've ordered some prep kitchen stuff, so there are other prep meal companies out there. Um, and today I decided to have the mac and cheese with pulled pork and. The issue is it was very barbecue sauce heavy, and I'm not a big barbecue sauce fan, so I only got through about three quarters of it. What did you end up having, Adam? I did my classic pod food, which I think I've said this answer many times. I had tortellini, I had pasta. Oh, yeah. yeah, it wasn't actually the spinach and ricotta this time. It was uh, one of the cheese ones. It was still good, though. And I added spinach. You can always add some spinach. So always add spinach. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And it, it was pretty good. Um, and I'm, I'm raring to go to sink my teeth, sink my teeth into uh, Sheffield Wednesday, some owls. Yeah, so before we do sink our teeth into some owls, um, <laughs> let's let's have a brief discussion on what was the final week of the transfer window. Oh, and so Leeds, Leeds signed three players within that week after the post-podcast. So Glenn Kamara, Ilya Groove and Jaden Anthony. So Martin, do you want to talk to us about Glenn Kamara? Um, yeah, uh, I've not... Or is it, 
Ilya Groove that you were going to take? Yeah, Ilya Groove, um, I'll, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about him. Um, I've not watched a great deal of him, I'll be honest, uh, but it's definitely a good age range for us to bring players in. He's got a fair bit of experience for, for his age, and he looks to me like he's probably going to be the backup to Ampadu. He's, from what I've read, read on him, he seems his strengths are more in the ball-winning territory, so I think he's most likely going to be backup to Ampadu. Um, but yeah, he seems he's played most of his time as a six rather than an eight. So I think it's probably best suited to be in that player who is going to be deepest and covering our more attacking fullbacks, maybe, so they can get forward more. So yeah, I think he will be a good player to have as backup with a decent amount of experience. And it's definitely better than relying on the other options that we've got because we don't really have any other ball winning profiles other than. Um, Ampadu, so it's it's good that we've brought in another profile which is similar to Ampadu's because no doubt at some point he will be injured or he will pick up a suspension because he likes his yellow cards so it'll be good to have that other profile in there to be be that backup basically because most often when we've had a a ball winning midfielder like I'm thinking like Calvin Phillips, Tyler Adams when we've had those players we've never had anyone else who can cover their role so it's always been very difficult for us when they haven't been available. And you mean Weston McKenney wasn't good cover for Tyler Adams? Absolutely not. As I alluded to <laughs> my review of him, he's not a ball-winning midfielder in the slightest. Um, but yes, he he should be a good option for us, who will give good cover. It's, it's quite good, great for us to have actual cover in central midfield from somewhere where we haven't had decent cover for quite a long time. So I'm very grateful for it. And Adam, I think you've probably seen a bit more of Glenn Kamara or Jaden Anthony, so do you want to touch on them too, maybe? Uh, Glenn Kamara, um, I'm pretty happy with. I've been pretty much wanting him for a lot of the summer since the links came out. Obviously, there were other midfielders linked, and I liked some of them as well, but this guy is a good profile to add next to Ampadu or Groove. Um, I think having someone who's press resistant, who can also carry the ball, you know, he's, he's got a lot of qualities that you want sort of to play that box-to-box role. There are some people that think he could probably play as a number 10. I don't really see that. He's not ever had the sort of goal assist record that, that strikes me as a player that can play that. He's not really got the the final third qualities you want. You kind of want him to get the ball into the final third, whether that's through passing or carrying the ball, and I think that he's good at that. Um, it also means that we're not completely relying on breaking poor young Archie Gray, who today uh, has actually like announced that he's pulled out of the England uh, under-20 squad, which I think he'd only just been called up to for the first time, basically because we're just trying to manage him because he's um, he's just played a lot of football. I think he's played every single game, hasn't he, since uh, since the start of the season. Um, so, yeah, I'm really happy with Kamara or Kamara. I don't know how it's going to be said. I'm going to ask John on that one. Um, and then, yeah, I, I don't know like as much about Anthony, but... Yeah, I have watched quite a bit of him for Bournemouth in the Championship before. I was one of those weird people that paid attention to the Championship even when Leeds were a Premier League team. Um, and he's basically probably more of a like a passer and and sort of like distributor from from the wide areas than any of our other wingers. I think that we might get a little bit more penetration from him in that respect than some of the others. Um, that isn't to say he's like stupidly creative, but he has probably a bit more of that than some of the other guys. Um, he is predominantly a left winger. I don't think there's many times we'll see him on the right this season, but you know he has good quality from that sort of area to cut inside and 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 do a lot of what 
Um, some of our other left wingers can do, like Nonto and, and Sinister, obviously. Um, I wouldn't say he's of the quality of those two in terms of like technical ability, but he offers other things that some of them don't have. So like our only winger that's really like aggressively good at pressing is Dan James. I would say Anthony's probably now our second best in that regard. So that gives you a little bit more off the ball and out of possession, which is pretty useful to have. Um, so I'm all right with it. Obviously, I'm, I'm pretty disappointed to lose Sinistera, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, there's just one other thing, Hosty, you, you did miss off the fact that we, we sound probably the best of the lot in Jed Spence. And I know we talked about it a little bit last week on the pod, but it wasn't 100% set in stone then. And then obviously, um, a few days later, he, he signed and I'm absolutely delighted with him. I think he's probably the, the second best signing we made of the summer. I think he's going to fix a lot of issues and and I'm, I'm really, really happy with him as well. So I'm pretty happy with the business. It's just that there's maybe one or two more I would have liked in terms of profiles and, and sort of positions covering. Um, but in general, I think the sort of floor of the squad's come up. And I think a lot of the players are also in the sort of right age bracket. Like you look at Kamara being 27, Groove being 23, Spence being 23, Perot being 24. Like all of these came late in the window and all of them kind of in that, that sort of bracket that we wanted to look for when we were personally scouting players with the podcast earlier in the season. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm pretty happy with the business that's been done, especially with regards to how like ha- much our hands were tied behind our backs um, in terms of like the loan clauses and release clauses and players' contracts. I think that made it quite a difficult summer, and we've actually done fairly well in the end. But obviously, one player did leave that we were all a bit disappointed by on deadline day. Yeah, and so that that player was Sinistera, as you mentioned earlier, and how I think for me, I'm a it's a bit sad, like the way that it's come out of him, maybe threatening legal action, and I think that really, like you said, Adam, had meant that the club had their hands tied. Um, I do think, obviously, I don't think it would have happened if Jaden Anthony wasn't there to be done as well. I think from the sounding of it, it happened quite late on in the day, and if it was something that happened at, in the first thing in the day, in the morning on Friday or late Thursday, then we might have seen someone different than Jaden Anthony come in. Because um, there was a lot of links to other right wingers, wasn't there, mm-hmm. throughout the whole mm-hmm. week, and a couple of attacking um, midfielders as well. Yeah, yeah. So, because um, obviously there was the links to O'Reilly at, at Celtic. Um, so yeah, Martin, have you got anything on Sinistera? Yeah, I was obviously disappointed that he's going. He was definitely our best winger out of the lot that we had. We've got a very good threat threat across all different areas of the attacking lineup and he was the best of that lot and had a pretty unique skill set with how much he kept hold of the ball and was so secure with it and I don't think all of our openings are quite as secure as what he was and obviously he's, he's got threat from distance as well he's got pretty much the whole package that you want from a, from a winger but at the end of the day he was too good for this division and I do, I do not blame him for wanting to play at a high, a high level because I don't think a year in the championship would do a whole lot for him. And with how intense the season is as well, playing this 46-game year, he's most likely going to get injured. Less likelihood of him getting injured playing in the Premier League with less games. So it makes sense on a lot of levels for me for him to want that. And I don't blame him at all or hold any malice against him. And if we do end up going up at the end of this year, we keep hold of him. There's only an option in the deal if we aren't relegated. If oh, I believe that's right, I've read that on a few different things. But that option's in, in there that it only becomes active if we aren't re- relegated. So we'll be able to keep hold of him and potentially if he has a decent year in the Premier League and doesn't pick up any bad injuries, then we could have a, have a decent player or someone who we can sell for quite a lot of money. So I don't think it's the end of the world. We've brought in a player who is more than good enough for the level to replace him in Jed Nansen. 
he's not obviously at, at the same level as, as what Sinistero was, but he doesn't need to be. Um, he came up with Bournemouth and was one of their best players, and I think he had 14 goal contributions in the year that, that Bournemouth went up, which is quite a lot of goal contributions, and he was only 21 years old at the time. So he's got a lot about him that I think will be good. And like Adam mentioned previously, that he's got not just in-possession qualities, also out of possession. He's, a very, he's an intense presser. So that'll give us someone else who we can play who won't sacrifice as much as their in-possession game to bring in that good out-of-possession ability. Obviously, Dan James is very good with his out-of-possession stuff, and some we are not as quite high on his in-possession ability. He's a bit limited in that way. So, if it, so yeah, I, I do... I don't mind Anthony at all. I think he, I think he could be a good, good player for us. And I didn't talk about uh, Jed Spence earlier. Um, Adam mentioned him, and I also am very, very delighted with that signing. And would also agree that it's our second best signing of the summer uh, behind Ampadu. Ampadu would be my number one signing of the summer uh, with Spence second and Perot third for me. And Perot only because he's not an ideal fit for what we want from a centre forward, which we will talk about on today's episode. There's been a lot of talk about Perot and where he's his position is. So yeah, but we'll get into that later. Yep. Um, yeah, with Jed Spence, I think it's we've all been we've we've seen once we knew that Aaron's was an option. I think we all expected a right back to come in, and um, I think we've said with Drama who wasn't getting a look in, and obviously he left to go to Birmingham City. Um, then you know, Aileen hasn't looked up to it defensively, as we've as we've said in quite a few pods, to be honest. Um, but we do have a little talk about. We will talk about uh, Jed Spencer's debut and the little ten minutes that we saw of him. But um, first, I'll go into the game somewhere. We'll finally get into some owls. So Leeds approached the game with their regular four-two-three-one structure, with Sheffield Wednesday going for a three-five-two shape. Leeds dominated possession throughout, having the best of the chances throughout the first half, with Sheffield Wednesday trying to press us, but not doing much to interrupt us having the ball. With the best chances being well saved by Sheffield Wednesday's keeper from a shot from Rutter, the second half was largely the same, with Leeds still dominating possession, and Wednesday sitting back more and more, retreating into a low block. However, both teams probably had an even share of the best chances, with Callum Patterson coming closest for Sheffield Wednesday, and Rutter coming closest for us. However, the game ended goalless, with both teams coming away with their first clean sheet of the season. So, we'll go into the interrogation straight from that. So, the general consensus was that Sheffield Wednesday sat deep throughout the game on Saturday. However, for much of the first half, I don't think this was the case. Sheffield Wednesday probably were pressing more out of a mid-block rather than a low block. And at the time of that game, that's where we had the most space to attack. Why do you feel we didn't have more good chances, Martin? So yeah, that like that like you mentioned there in that question that Sheffield Wednesday were pressing us more in the first half. Um, does the quite a general saying that they were just sitting back the entire game, which it just wasn't the case when uh, when I saw it at first instance and also on the watch back, they were pressing us quite high at times, not quite a high press, but it was more of a mid block, and they were leaving behind quite a lot of space at times. And we were trying to attack those spaces, but we were just, there were so many passes which weren't quite coming off. Um, the execution of the passes and getting them to the right areas, sometimes it was overhit, sometimes it was the wrong option. And we had struggle, we struggled to bring Joel Pro into the game dur- during that part of the game. And also in the second half, that persisted true, but in the first half, we could have taken a lot more advantage of the space that Sheffield Wednesday were allowing, and we just didn't. And 
I'm not really sure what to put that down to other than just maybe a bit of incohesion, maybe do some interruption in what the plans were for this game with Sinistera leaving quite late. He could have been part of the plans for what the white to do with in that game. So because the, he was gone from the group, that the things that will have been working on in training didn't quite come off in the same way. It's also quite quite difficult when you're facing a block with three centre backs in there who were all pretty big guys, not a lot of space to get get between them and the the caps the gaps between them quite well, I felt, which did make it difficult when it got to around their box to make chances and we had to be quite precise. And since I've already said the passing wasn't the best in the first half, that meant that we weren't able to exploit the areas which they were leaving behind. So yeah, that's my best guess of saying why it didn't quite happen in the first half. I agree with what Martin said about Perot and like not using him maybe as much as we could have in the first half because I think there was more space for him to sort of exploit and use. Um, I, I just think there's a few things like, obviously there's a lot of people, including myself, talking about the fact that in games like this you want a a playmaker like a number 10 type like someone just who can unlock doors and is that like punchy penetrative passer that you need to break things up when it is congested in in deeper areas and Perot isn't that and we'll talk about that later but he's not going to be that if he plays as a as a number 10 he's going to be a different type of 10 um and I think that's obviously something that that is important to point out but also I think there's a few other things like John is someone that said this a lot um when he's talking about Liverpool and, and how they've evolved over time and things like that but um a lot of their creativity in, in the last few years particularly a few years ago not as quite as much now but a lot of creativity came from their fullbacks um and i'm not saying both of our fullbacks are going to give us that but i think with jed spence on the right we're going kamara sort of knitting things together a little bit better in that sort of side as well as much as i love archie gray i think that that could potentially look better um and i think that'll help with with creativity and and give us another sort of outlet and attack to to break down these sorts of defenses and this this sort of packed box um um oh, but on top of that i just don't think everything's quite like mine mentioned in cohesion and and yeah it's not quite gelling yet and and that's something that i think just comes with time we've had a lot of churn of the squad um Fox had other jobs including Norwich when he got them up like he didn't start like amazingly well I look at Vincent Company with Burnley last season they didn't didn't lose a lot of their opening games but they did draw a lot it's kind of reminiscent of what we're doing right now um and I just think that maybe it just needs a bit more time and you've got an international break now to get a lot of the players training together and then after that come back a little bit more gelled again and and it'll just maybe in like another five six games it's going to look a, a bit better as, as well but it did feel like there's just a lot of players running into traffic and and you needed like one or two players to really like get their foot on the ball in the final third and, and pick that pass or make something happen and, and that's why I wanted to mention like Spence and, and the role he could play as well not just like a number 10 because I think he's the sort of player that can like make things happen just with, with his pace and his speed and directness and I think that'll um, cause us a lot of um, sort of an outlet that, that can work on the right side and, and cause teams a lot of problems. And I'm excited to see it. And, and I think that we need to, whilst we don't have that that profile in our squad, like number 10, we need to find creativity in, in other ways. And I guess this is Farker's job, right, to to do it, to find a solution. Yeah, Martin, did you have anything else in response there for Adam? Yeah, there was just one, something I want to add on to there, what Adam was saying. Um, he mentioned about Burnley and how it took them a bit of time to get going and how that's proved the same with us. And there's quite a lot of parallels with 
us and Burnley. Uh, Burnley were playing a very different style of football to what they did in the Championship under Sean Dyche. So there's um, a big change in system there. And the same is true with us. We've we've gone from playing under Jesse Marsh, who hated possessing the ball, to Daniel Fark, who loved to possess the ball. So there's a big culture change there in how we're approaching football. So it will clearly take the players more time to adapt to it. They've taken to it quite well, in my in my honest opinion, for most of the parts. The early build-up looks strong. The progressing the ball from the deep areas to the advanced areas is good. It's just the nitty-gritty around the box which is uh, struggling to get to grips with at the moment and I think it will come with more time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I agree with everything that you said. I think even there were moments within the game where, um, and it kind of leads us in, into the next question, but there was definitely one moment where Perot was nicely open and uh, Nyonto turned and tried to dribble and do it himself. And that <laughs> can also just be when we talk about, when we talk about cohesion, um, it could just be that you're not used to hearing those new voices on the pitch that are on your team, and so you don't know that that option's there. But it is a common view, as we've said. We had Perot, we had Rutter, Nonto and Somerville, so probably one of the best attacking lineups in the league. But are we clearly missing something different? Because Nonto is a vibesy dribbly boy. <laughs> Somerville is a vibesy dribbly boy. Rutter is potentially a, vi- a vibesy dribbly boy. And so... Do you think we'll miss a true passing maestro in that final third, Adam? Uh, yeah, uh, big time. Like I touched on this, but yeah, and it it did concern me a little bit when there was like reports from Phil coming out that Somerville is going to be seen as a ten, and like I'm not saying he can't do it to a degree, and like because he's such a good player, like in in a lot of ways, like he'll be able to play the role. But like I really wanted to sign one, <laughs> and like I want to play players like him in their best position, which is on the right wing. Um, and I just think, yeah, we, we like that guy that's just going to like thread the needle and, and make that killer pass. Those moments, we've got a lot of moments, guys. We have a lot of moments players, but we don't have a lot of moments players that are like particularly really creative. And I do think that's an issue. And like, I think in some games we'll be able to get away with like a, a front two, which is essentially kind of two strikers or two different kinds of strikers, but like two strikers in, in either Ruter and Perot or, or Bamford or whatever combination of those, the two of those three. And in certain games away from home, I think that'll be more like apparent because I think it'll be more open. Um, and I think that's that's more likely where we will be able to do that. Whereas at home, I think against teams that are going to just sit in like all the time, I think we'll see there's a lot of games at home this season. Um, I predicted in the Discord that I think that um, I think we might draw a lot of games at home this season. And away from home, we might actually be a bit better, maybe at the start anyway, for the first couple of months. Um, that could change, but I think for now that that's probably going to be true. But at the moment, you don't have that guy who's going to like do it against a sort of bank of like four or five, or or two banks of like four or five. And um, yeah, I really, I really want a playmaker. I really want a Pablo Hernandez. Um, <laughs> I, re- I really want someone who's like Emiliano Buendia. And and I just, I just don't think we have like enough like that. I think Nonto and Somerville can come out with with moments of of passing it well and and come out with moments last season in the Premier League where. They got some nice assists. I remember Nantes against Wolves, for example, and there are, there are things that they can do that that can you know be a route to goal. But at the same time, there's just not that that guy in our team. And I think like someone like Archie Gray is someone who might develop his game in time and um, be a more advanced player. And I think that's quite likely. I think his 
his future lies further forward as a as an either an eight or a ten, but like I'm not necessarily sure he's the answer right now to just thrust him in the ten role. Obviously he could be an option there and I think we should try it at some stage, but we do need someone who's really, really good at, at unlocking a, a pack defence, like in a low block, and we just don't have it. And yeah, it is frustrating because like Pirot sometimes did pick up good positions, but either wasn't found or if he was found, like he's just not that guy that you want to sort of thread the pass. <laughs> you know, yeah, and it's difficult with him to sort of get shots away from the edge of the box when there's just so many bodies in front of him. He's not just going to sort of leather one at goal and, and hope it goes in because it's going to get blocked by like three different players. He could be even a lead player that blocks it. So he's just not going to do that. Yeah, Martin, you got anything else regarding wanting someone who can be creative in those areas? Yeah, I think it is definitely a profile which is missing from the attacking lineup. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be a 10 who is that creative player. It can easily be someone who is from a wider area where, where I think maybe it, we should maybe have sold one of our, one of the players who we have in the, in the lineup, Nonto or Somerville on top of Sinistera. So, so we could bring in a player in those areas who is more creative in that sort of manner and can either play as a 10 or as a winger, someone like, like Far Gloves is Emmy Buendia because he is that player. He is a player who doesn't only rely on dribbles, but he can do it. Do it, but his biggest threat was from his creativity and incisive passing, and that will be missed. But I still think there is enough in this side, so we shouldn't have to worry about it too much. And I do think that maybe it's something that we look to address in January. Um, we were linked to a fair a fair amount of attacking midfielders during the window, so I think it is definitely something which Fark was aware of. And maybe we'll try to do that because we didn't have enough time in this window and we weren't sure who was going to be going and when. And then the Sinisteria thing happened quite late, so maybe that was too late to bring one of those players in. So we just had to make do with what we could get, which was Anthony, to replace him. But I do think maybe if it would have happened earlier in the window, we may have brought in more of that sort of profile. Adam, did you want to say something there? Yeah, it does sound like we tried to get chair or we like at least inquired about him from QPR quite late. It just, I think, it, like you say, it was run out of time sort of situation. So it was like we wanted one in, one out at least. So we just had the enough bodies. And then Anthony became an option. It was like, right, we'd rather have him than then try to get chair and it falls through and then we're actually short. Um, that's what I think ended up happening and and I guess that's why we've had to sort of, I want to say settle, but like settle for Anthony um, rather than like really push for chair because I think it, it literally was like two or three hours before the deadline that the chair thing came out and it was like, oh, we might just not have the, the sort of like time to get this one through. We, we were just a bit worried, you know. Yeah, and um, before we go too much into what the state of the squad is, before you do the podcast for the Patreon members later on this week, um, I I want to touch on that you mentioned Adam Farker, um, Farker sees Somerville as that 10, and I think we've seen that he can do those sort of passes. We saw it on Saturday, so there was that pass into Ruta in the first yeah, half, uh, which was probably actually probably actually his best chance. Um, but the issue is that Somerville does, he does that, which is a lovely pass, but he does it after he's done a dribble and his first thought is to try and take a player on. Um, but to caveat that and maybe see where Farker is coming from, if he's seeing Somerville do those sort of things, is it that, you know, yeah, we, we are yearning for um, for Pablo Hernandez player and Pablo, but Pablo was a winger at the start of his career. You know, he was a winger when he was at Swansea before he became a player who could see those sort of passes and make those passes. Um, that could also just be because he was a cut above the championship. Um, so it was a lot easier for him. But I wonder if that's 
where Farker's trying to transition Somerville into and he thinks that with given time, like you mentioned with Archie Gray, you think that given time he can be that player. Maybe that that's how Farker sees it for Somerville as well. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, so Archie Gray, what, what a transition. <laughs> um, he had another good game, but there has been some questions posed of him online, particularly about his incisiveness with his passing. Uh, do you feel like he should show more urgency uh, than he does at the moment on the ball, uh, Martin? I think it's an interesting point, is this? Um, I don't want to say anything bad about Archie because he's been phenomenal since he came in. Um, he's been he's gone past my expectations of what he would do coming into the final youth, that he would play some role in this season. But he's shown very early on this season that he can be relied upon to play. Um, I don't want us to over-rely on him, but it's good that he can be used in the midfield. And I think there's a lot of things about his game to, to love. He, he's very good at driving with the ball. He's even, he's really good off the ball as well, which was a surprise to me. Um, he's very good in this tackling, which I'm sure the Dyers will love. And I do see what some people are talking about with, with the is the urgency of his passing, sometimes getting the ball forward a little bit quicker. And I think this is something which will come with more time playing. Um, I think he's just developing his overall game himself. And I don't think we should interrupt too much in that. I think he's got a really good head, and, head on his shoulders and I think he'll, he'll be able to bring that into his game naturally. I think he's that sort of talent who those sort of things will come the more, more he plays when he realises and looks, looks up a bit more, sees the options around him, quickly gets it out of his feet. I think that will just come with more time. I think we'd have to be patient with that, and it will just it'll improve more and more as the season goes on, in my opinion. Yeah, Adam, anything different? Um, I just wanted to say, first of all, like obviously we've all loved him. Like he's been great, and I was just thinking about like the amount of players that have made it through our academy. And there's been plenty. We're obviously quite renowned for that, but I wanted to say like at, at this age, it's kind of crazy, isn't it? Like. Development isn't linear and some players make it a bit later. Like we saw with KP, Calvin, like a lot of people were ruling him out and, and saying he wasn't going to make it here. And, you know, he was about 21, 22 when Bielsa came in and then he just became this monster. Um, but Archie Gray's doing what not very many Leeds players have managed to do um, previously. And that is to like play so much at 17 already. And I can only think of like James Milner, um, Fabian Delph, um, Lewis Cook, that's probably the only players I can think of that have that have played such a young age or a similar age and, and made it. And I'm just so impressed with him. And, and a couple of things have struck me so far with him. And it's, it's first of all, that he doesn't shy away from the ball. And I think that is maybe what's got him his first team chance. He's always showing for it. He doesn't seem to lack confidence or anything like that. He always wants the ball. And if he makes a mistake, he's not necessarily like letting it get to him. He still wants to, to be on the ball. And in Farker's system, that's obviously really good. And that's why I'm delighted that he's kind of now going to be able to manage him a bit better with Kamara but like we're going to have a couple of options that I really really like I think the midfield options are great now um and the other thing is that it's not just that but I think like even though his passing is not quite as incisive and maybe he needs to to do it a bit quicker I generally think that like his speed of thought is still above a lot of players and like again that's what set him apart at under 21 level and we're again like sort of seeing it now um okay there are some like defensive fundamentals that he's lacking I think he's got a bit of an issue with spacing and I think Ampadu and, and a couple of our defenders have had to dig him out because of that as well I think we saw that against Ipswich particularly um, but yeah um, and his reading of the game in that respect will improve with time but like I said earlier I think he's going to 
be a player that that works further forward and and I think his anticipation and with the ball and, and what he's doing is really really good it's just that yeah he's he maybe a bit sloppy and it's something that's just going to come with time and I'm hoping that he can become like an even better passer of the ball and 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 really see those passes because I think he could make it as like a an actual attacking midfielder and I, I really want us to try him there at some stage even though we don't have to rush it or anything like that. We've got plenty of time this season to to try different things, um, and I just yeah, I just absolutely love him. Like I said, seventeen and and doing what he does. Like it's hard to criticize, even though there are like a few areas of his game that I want to say like oh that can improve because he is just like so talented for his age. Yeah, I think we've all um, we've all mentioned worries of playing him too much, and I I'm sad that he's had to pull out of the England squad, but it's yeah, also kind of. It's it's nice to know that the club are acknowledging that they don't want to overplay him as well and they don't want him to play too many minutes and they're aware that they've probably overplayed <laughs> him at the start of this season so far. Um, I think that actually there were moments on Saturday where I thought, oh, he's not done that before, where he's kind of just spent a bit too long on the ball or the pass has been short and looked tired. Um, and so I think Saturday was, for me, I could see... His up like where his legs just looked tired, so I understood them when he did get pulled. And when you speak about the speed of thought that he has, I think where he is at the moment with being incisive in his passing and choosing what to do, if he's got the ball in a position where he's going to be defensively sound, if his pass is lost, he he'll play a pass downfield and further upfield. But there was a moment where he'd kind of gone forward. There was a nice pass into Perot that was an option. Um. But if he hadn't got that pass right, then the space behind him would have been open. So he went for a safer option. But I think what we want to see is actually that pass into Perot. Because if Perot takes that and we had a good attack that would have been on. And that's what I want to see improved and him being a bit more braver in that sense. But as we've said, like he's had a great start to his opening of his Legionite career. Um, and obviously, Adam, you were not going to go talking about a 17-year-old playing for Leeds and not mention James Milner. Of course. So Very thank on brand. You. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, thank you for doing that. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. I've done it again. I've transitioned into the next question by talking about Perot. So there's been lots of questions on Twitter about him playing as a 10 <laughs> rather than a 9. Um, so he's a 10 that's not a 10. I, I don't know. Um, Farker was asked about this in his post-match press interview and he said his more natural role at Swansea was coming from deeper to arrive late. That's how he scored at Ipswich. 
Joel can also play up front, but we need players from midfield to score and he likes to come from a deeper position. We needed a pacey striker in behind like Ruter to push them back. We're not looking for cutbacks, but low crosses along the byline. So what do we make of the current situation with Perot playing at 10 and Ruter as the 9? I'll come to you, Adam, on that one. I love that you've pronounced Ruter in two different ways in one sentence. That was fantastic. <laughs> oh, did <laughs> yeah, I? Yeah, you did. It's great. <laughs> I just get, I just it's fantastic. I'm yeah. good at transitions, but bad at pronunciations. <laughs> so um, is it? It's it's fun. Like I, it's a difficult one. Like I think I think as a ten, I, we all we need to all acknowledge that Jacob's done a really good thread on thread on this on Twitter. And if people want to see it, they should go and check Jacob Stambridge out because he is a wonderful young man and did a wonderful thread. Um, really long thread, really long read on this kind of explaining it, but it was perfectly put. And I'll just touch on some of the bits that he he kind of got into. And basically, he was saying that. Perot is a 10 in some ways because he is the type of 10 that you would look to as as a sort of secondary striker rather than an actual like playmaking 10, the, the sort of traditional 10 that you think about. Um, so by that, he's the kind of striker that's going to either look to crash the box or he's going to be the one that like looks to get to around the edge of the box for either cutbacks or to just sort of rip one into the net because he's really good at that. Um, rather than being that sort of creative hub that you want from your 10 sometimes. Um, he's also kind of a nine in some ways, again, because he's got this insane level of finishing and ball striking, but he does lack some of the speed to get beyond that Ruter does, and Bamford used to have some speed. I don't know what his speed's like now, but players like that can kind of stretch the game in behind. I think that this is one of those things where in it's going to be situational, and I think at times you'll play Piro as a sort of second striker behind a striker, and you will have spaces to play in and it'll be fine and it'll work and we'll score some goals again it's probably more likely to be away from home whereas at home you might want more of a actual playmaker or midfielder as the actual attacking midfielder rather than actual striker because he is a forward um it's a bit of a difficult one with him because he's kind of like a i like this term 9.5 because he does a bit of 9 and 10 stuff but i think that's what we need to use him as i think we need to use him as a 9 some games 10 some games Ruter as a striker some games Bamford as a striker some games and like and just mix it up it just depends on the opposition and how we think they're gonna settle against us in terms of their their block and their defensive structure um personally it also could be a thing that develops with time that i think and like maybe he will grow into that role but at swansea he very much played as a striker with another striker um which would be one that would maybe like occupy a bit more and get beyond a bit more that doesn't mean to say that perot can't do some of those things and like occupy center backs and and sort of pull them around a bit but you kind of do want him to be a bit freed up and, and to have space to shoot when he's got any kind of move uh, um, room sort of 25 yards from goal or less. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just one of those things. And I, I just think we lack that profile that we could like switch out so that Perot could play as a striker and, and have a playmaker behind him or whatever. But again, it, we mentioned earlier about the cohesion and the chemistry and, and the gelling and players like just getting to know each other more. And I do think that he can still be an option there. And I, like the thing with Perot that's so important to mention is that he's going to score goals no matter what like system you play. Like he was a bit quiet on Saturday, but the weekend before he had like, I would say three decent chances. In this game, he had one, albeit it was a really good one and he did kind of fluff it. But um he'll get more as the season develops and as this team sort of functions a bit better together as well. Yeah, and Martin, we know that you're big on Ruter, so do you want to touch on maybe the opposite side of that question? Yeah. The situation? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, first of all, I just want to mention something about what, what uh, Farker said there, that we're not looking for cutbacks, which seems really 
really strange to me because that is a sort of um, thing that's, that Perot has scored from quite frequently and he's great at attacking those sort of cutbacks. And there were so many times against Wednesday where he was in the sort of position where the winger could have cut it back to him but we were just drilling the cross across the byline, like what Fart mentioned. So to me, it seems like this is a team instruction that they were told not to cut it back and to drill it across the box instead. Whereas it just doesn't make sense when you've got to play it in a, in a good position to receive the cutback, just cut it back to him and, and do it that way. But you can't really blame the players for doing it because that seemed like it's what they've been told to do. So I think there needs to be some sort of sort of process involved with that that yeah, maybe I can understand why Fark wants them to, to do the low crosses across the byline because they are very good and do generate chances and anything can happen with a fierce fisting cross like that and get own goals in, the, in that way. Um, but you need to mix it up a bit. You don't, don't just do the same thing every single time when you do get to the byline. Um, sometime, one time you hit low cross, next time you pull it back. There needs to be that sort of variation so teams are guessing as to where we're going to put those deliveries rather than doing it the same thing over and over again because it's just not going to work and that was often, quite often a problem. The crosses were being fisted in and it was just being booted out or just not going to anyone. So yeah, that part of it didn't work at all. I do think that with the stuff about Ruter playing as a nine, I have no problem with that at all and I think that he had a good game as a nine in this game. Yes, he missed a very big chance which wasn't as easy as some have made out. It's definitely not one that you score 19 times out of 20, but it's, de- <laughs> it's, def- it's definitely one which you can score if you ha- if you think about it a bit more and he just rushed it a little bit and just lobbed it into the keeper's hands rather than getting underneath it a bit more and lobbing it over him. So I can understand what he was going for. He just didn't hit it in the right way and it was bouncing. It was difficult to get to. So yeah, enough about that chance. But I think all, all the rest of the parts of his game, which he wanted a centre-forward to do, he was making good runs beyond the centre-backs and he had a good chance in the first half because of that. And that was a very good shot, which was a good save by the goalkeeper. The goalkeeper just, just got his hand out to it in the perfect place, just sort of thrust his arm out and that's where, where, where the shot went. So he was very unlucky with that. And... Also, some of the other play with um, receiving the ball deep and then moving the ball on and running forward to get on the end of it. Those was great. He was doing good with those sort of things as well. So there's a lot of things to like about what he was doing. And I do think that this partnership with Perot will come, come good the more time they play together so they can understand each other's movements more. And I think if we do give it time, it will bear fruit, basically. And I have no problem with playing the system as it is and just keep going, get that cohesion going 100%, make sure they know perfectly well what each other's going to be doing at all times, get a true partnership in there, and it will definitely work, in my opinion. And, yeah, I, I, I think that it will work personally. And we just need to make, get the ball to pro more often as well. That's another thing which we weren't doing, which has already been mentioned. Um, quite often he was in good positions to pass to, uh, and we just weren't get, getting the ball to him. was often going to the wide areas first rather than passing it centrally and again this could be a team instruction like wants to get it out wide and get it into the box but this needs to be a bit more variation to keep keep opponents guessing as to when we're going to do that things and there's even some good moments where he was running beyond the final defender there was one particular moment around the 70th minute i think where he'd dropped it to receive the ball and then he uh, released the ball back to somebody else and made a run run forward beyond it and no one spotted that run and he was just saying he was in quite a lot of space. There was one centre back was out of position, just slightly behind him. The other one was level with him, so there was loads of space for the ball to be played into, and just no one spotted it. It was acres of space. 
anyone could have hit that pass if they would have saw it, but no one saw it, so it wasn't it didn't happen. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's about all I could say on that one. Yeah, and I think as much as we've said Perot wasn't found, you've just mentioned Rutter wasn't found then, um, but I think that happened quite often during the game. I think he made some really good runs that he could have been found with had someone looked up. Um, and yeah, that's where we go back to what we were talking about before and we say if we had maybe that person who could spot those sort of things and play those passes, then that would be a profile that would fill for us. But yeah, I agree. I thought Rutter did some good stuff. Um, I particularly liked actually the... 1-2 on the edge of the box that he did for Somerville's shot, which went high and wide in the first half as well. And I know you, Martin, shared the bit of work down the left wing, which was a little flick and a turn and played that straight down. And he might have been offside from it, but um, I, I also don't think he was offside from that pass from Somerville to the left wing in the second half. Um, that clip you mentioned was shared by Joe Donoghue, no less, by the way. It was, it was. Yes, we like Joe. Um, so... In positive news, this was our first clean sheet of the season. And with this in mind, how do you think we did handle Sheffield Wednesday out of possession, uh, Martin? Yeah, I, th- I felt largely we did well out of possession. And especially in the first half, uh, every time Wednesday tried to get the ball out, we dealt with it. There was, uh, there was pretty predictable in the way they were trying to move the ball forward, in honesty. It was generally long balls, um, and we handled all those long balls well. Um, the rest defence was better, I felt. It was more set, and there were players, I think Ampadu wasn't getting quite as far forward, um, especially during the first half, which meant that he was back to cover those sort of moments easier. And, and when it went through the second half, they did have some chances, but that is going to happen because we were committing more and more men forward. So there were going to be spaces which they could attack, and they did get a few chances out of that. But we did still manage to... Limit them in open play to not. I don't think they had a big a big chance in open play. Uh, I think the one was. I think it was a second phase of a set piece. I believe their chance, or maybe first phase. I'm, I can't remember the one which was mentioned in the uh, game summary. But yeah, that one which I think Patterson put put over from like just around the penalty box. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think we did largely handle them well, and I was happy with the way we defended it. But also, they didn't really put up too much to Warriors, in my opinion. Yeah, Adam, any anything further on that? Um, well, Martin's just talked very passionately about Jorginho Ruter and I, and I wanted to give Pascal Strauch a bit of love because although there was one moment in the game where I think he kind of like switched off and, or he just didn't react to something as quickly as he perhaps should have and he kind of just like hesitated and they nearly got in or, or they kind of got in but we, we recovered. He was, again, really, really good in this game and... He's ranking really highly for sort of progressive carries and progressive passes. I think he's top in the second of those for us so far this season. And he's been excellent, in my opinion. And the sort of defender we, we saw a few years ago and, and the kind of guy like that you want in this system. Um, and I wanted to talk... A, I don't love talking about centre-backs unless it's, it's on-the-ball stuff, but I want to talk a little bit about some of um, the reasons why I think Roden and Strauss are really good partnership potentially. Um, in the over the years, we've had quite a lot of reactive centre backs, and what I mean by that is players that maybe don't always spot the danger straight away, but they they react well to it, and they can kind of like come like out for a block or a a, a really big tackle or you know thunder into something like a big header or whatever. And I'd say Jansen was a bit like that. I would say Cooper is quite like that. Diego Llorente. We haven't had a lot of um, proactive defenders, and Pascal I would say is more like that, which is why. Maybe the fans don't always take to him because he's not 
sort of going about his business like twatting people and like wiping them out and making big blocks and and you know geeing up the crowd and all of that um whereas quite a few of our other defenders over the last few years have um i'd say cock was kind of an in the middle defender and i would say that maybe we're seeing early signs of Roden being a bit like that i don't know if fans love me hitting me saying that and uh, and it maybe isn't always a great thing but i think he's kind of in the middle like he has done a little bit of reacting late stuff and, and coming out with big headers and blocks and tackles but he seems to be a pretty decent defender overall and I thought he had a good, quite a decent game of handling them and and I'm pretty happy with this this pairing I think it works you've got Roden as this sort of like taller more physical guy who's really good in the air Strauch's not bad in the air at all whatsoever but like he's not incredible in that regard um, but he's even more progressive and it, it just kind of works and I was looking around at other sort of centre-back options at other clubs in, in that sort of like top bracket of, of championship sides and any side that I could think of that looked on a similar level to us was Leicester's and I know this was our first clean sheet in 22 league games I believe I think that's what they said um, and that's why I wanted to talk about this because I think it's a positive thing even though it was against Sheffield Wednesday at least we, we finally did one of those and I think we've deserved one for a, for a little bit of time now and I think we've played well enough to have one um, and, and, I'm, and I'm happy with this duo and I, I hope it stays and, and they stay fit and it continues to develop because it, it kind of does like dovetail quite nicely in, in both of their skill sets the only thing you would say is maybe you'd like a little bit more speed but we, we kind of have that now we're just in another way in, in, in another area of the defense and that might help as well yeah I think the moment that you're on about with strike is the uh, ball over the top mm-hmm. where he just kind of he fell asleep a little yeah. and Smith just nudged him around a little and Smith had that shot straight bit basically straight at Melier and you'd expect Melier to save it every day um, but yeah Mine, I don't think there's anything else to add on that. I think Adam covered that partnership really well. I've got one more little thing to add, um, just on on Roden in particular. Um, I am I'm largely been happy with the way that he has been defending. Um, however, there has been some moments where he has been a little bit too aggressive. Um, in particular, you know the clip which I shared of um, Jed Spence um, doing the heroic um, recovery run, but in that uh, video, there's uh, Roden who is very aggressive in the way he approaches the Wednesday player who passed, passes the ball through. He gets right up close to the back of him and then the ball just gets hooked around and then there's just acres of space which he's just left behind. I don't think he needed to get in that close. Because if he would have held his position and just waited to see what would happen, he should have also been able to see the player who was running forward on the other side, just to the side of him, but he wasn't looking around. He was too focused on the ball. I think that is one of his issues, is that he is very ball-focused at times, and that is something which I did put on the, the Patreon article that I put on him, that he can be aggressive in those sort of moments, and that is something that we do have to be careful of. And, yeah, but overall, I am very happy with with um, the partnership that they're both getting, and I liked what you said about the their profiles matching up, that they both one's the more reactive and one's proactive so yeah it, it does fit together and that's why i meant by that i don't think you see strauch in that sort of position that Roden's in i think that he has that, that aggression and that reactiveness that he's not looking for the where the ball might drop or where the ball might go like a step later which i think strauch does and i don't think always goes noticed someone who was really good at that obviously was ben white um but like i think strauch's probably the best defender we've had since him at maybe reading that but yeah, there are other areas of his game that obviously are not as good as Ben White because he plays for bloody Arsenal, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, to talk about players who 
don't play for Leeds United. We did have a question from Tom from Total Wednesday, who was our guest for the preview for this game, and he wanted to know if there was any of the Sheffield Wednesday players that we liked the look of or rated. Uh, Martin, you can go first on this one. Yeah, the, well, one particular is one which Tom mentioned in the review itself was their goalkeeper. Um, he was Vasquez, I think that's his name. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I thought, I thought he was very good. Um, he didn't really mention his um, shot-stopping ability, and yeah, that was good, especially like I mentioned before, the ch- chance which he stopped of Rutez in the first half. That was a v- very good stop. Um, but Tom did mention about his uh, distribution, and I also like that as well. He looks to be a good ball with a, with a ball at his sorry, good goalkeeper with a ball at his feet, not a good ball with a ball at the feet. <laughs> but yeah, he, he was good with that sort of things, and obviously. Barry Bannon, um, as much as he did ruffle us up a fair bit with that awful tackle on, well, I say tackle very generously because the referee didn't call it as a foul on Chris Emphio Somerville, um, which, yeah, that that did ruffle my feathers a bit, but you can't argue his quality on the ball, and he did show that quite often in the game that even at the age that he's at now, he still can ball, and he was very good at hitting those long passes to get Wednesday out of their half. So, yeah, that, those are the two I would pick out. Yeah, Adam, anyone different? I just wanted to say it's pretty obvious that I have a, a camera in Dan's room to sort of look over his shoulder to read his notes because I quite often make a point and then he goes, oh, I was about to say that, but I was about to say all of what Martin just said. Essentially, like, you can tell that Vasquez played for a, He's come through AC Milan's system and, and that's why he's he's pretty good with the ball. His feet, yeah, his, his shot stopping was pretty good in this game as well. And then, yeah, Barry Bannon has, like, that odd moment in him in every game and we kind of talked about it in the preview as well, but, like, he just has one or two really good passes in his locker in a game and, and they can set you away and he did that a couple of times and yeah those are the two exact players I also had written down in my notes yeah there was a small period of about 30 seconds when Bannon kind of like fired a volley perfectly like on a half turn as a pass and then that player lost it, he got fired back, and he just fired the volley again <laughs> to the next player who was available it got fired back and then he went okay I'm firing this one across pitch and uh, each pass was like inch perfect um, yeah with regards to Vasquez's I think I've I've been quite vocal in the Discord regarding I think he had a very good performance mm-hmm. and part of that, part of the reason why we didn't get a goal was um due to some of his decision making on when to come out and the speed at which he came out. And yeah, the one moment that I remember from him on the ball is he played a pass to Bannon, who didn't play best the greatest pass back to him, um and it bobbling a little and Rutter comes in and puts on puts on the pressure the press and he kind of takes a touch and follows it out to the left back really well and like with ridiculous calmness um and I just want to touch on when I spoke about him coming out right and doing it really well that rotate chance which everyone is kind of saying he has to score 19 times out of 10 um I think 19 times out of 10 wow yeah 190 that's the exact one that that's that's how good of a short thing, yeah. Um, one hundred ninety percent of the time, it should work every time. Um, <laughs> but essentially, I think Rutter's initial thoughts are: once he's controlled it, he's going to take another touch and go around and try and then hit it with some power. Um, and then when he sees that he's come out so much, he makes that last-minute decision to try and lob him, which is why the lob just goes straight into the keeper's hands. But that's due to the speed as well of which Vasquez comes out at. He thought he makes Rutter make that sort of decision, um, and I think that sometimes goes unnoticed when people are judging what players have done. It's that you've got to remember that the other players made a decision for that to be a reaction to that. 
And I think that Vasquez deserves a little bit of credit for that as well. Um, but yeah, as you said, it's clear why he's on loan from AC Milan and that he's come through that academy. Um, but yeah, moving on. Similar to most of our games so far, the majority of our attacks have come from the left-hand side. Um, do you see this changing with the signings that we've made? And if so, who do you think will change that most? Martin? I think there's obviously one player which I think most will have in mind for improving the right side of the attack, and Adam already mentioned it earlier, which would be uh, Jed Spence. Um, he definitely can be a player who can, I won't say revolutionise, but definitely change our right side a lot because of the abilities that he possesses, which none of our other fullbacks do. Um, he's got explosive pace, he's quite strong as well, he's got a good long frame, but I think he's just... Physically, in all areas that he want, he is good and he will be able to beat fullbacks in the air, I believe. I think he's got quite long legs so he can get quite a good jump out of, his, out of him. And if, if he knocks the ball past a fullback, there's going to be no fullback in this division who would be able to stop that, in my opinion. Because he's, as we saw from that recovery run only seconds after he came on the pitch, he just... He had about 10 yards behind the Wednesday player and he just made that up and just got there. Yeah, it was just phenomenal. And that's a player who has played 18 minutes of football over the summer since last season. 18 minutes in total in uh, the um, Spurs' game against Barcelona in some random friendly cup. That's his level. So, yeah. That's his level. <laughs> indeed it is. Indeed it is. And so, yeah, if that's what he can produce with barely any match fitness in his system, uh, what he'll be able to produce when he has played some more games um, frankly terrifies me. Um, but yes, he will definitely be able to change our right side a lot. And another player who will be able to do that is I think where he'll most likely be played will be Camera. And I think he's left-footed. If no, he's he's right-footed, but he's comfortable. Is he actually right-footed? Yeah, he's comfortable with that. Ah, okay. Fair play, fair play. Um, but yeah, he will most likely play on the right side of midfield with, next to Ampadu, I would have thought. Um Interchanging with Archie Gray, I'd imagine is the most likely scenario, and he will be able to offer a lot to the right side as well. Um, he's, he seems to be a player who's got a lot to his game. Not um, there's not nothing which really maybe the, the defensive side is maybe not as quite as strong, but when he's next to Ampadu, that sh- should more than make up for it. So I think a combination of, of Spence and Kamara, Kamara, however you want to say it. And I think that the right side will start to generate more. It won't ever be as much as the left side because I do think that Farker's system does prioritise build up in the left hand side. So a lot of our attacks will originate on the left. But there will be times where Spence is, is in a lot of space and we'll be able to get it over to him and he'll be able to ruin whichever full, full back is against and get across into the box. And it will change the way we can do that because that's just not a strength of Luke Ealings. As much as I do love him and I want to emphasise this, that no matter how much that I, I love Jed Spence, that doesn't mean I love Ailing any less. And people who are using Spence to criticise Ailing can F off, basically. I don't want to, but yeah, that's my feelings on that one. Uh, don't use it as a battering stick for Ailing because he doesn't have the pace of Jed Spence. <laughs> Not many players do have the pace of Jed Spence, in all honesty. Um, but yeah, that's what I would say on the right side. I guess Adam will just stick with Jed Spence and what did you make of his debut? I loved it. <laughs> Short and sweet. No, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, Luke Ailing's been a fantastic servant, but I, I just think if Spence is fit, he has to play. It doesn't matter on the opponent. It's not going to be one of those things. It's like 
depending on who we're playing. He's got that speed. He's got that physicality. He can get back and get forward really easily. We show, we saw it with that that recovery he made. Um, he's going to really improve our right side. Um, he's got quite a like languid and and relaxed sort of style when he's when he's sprinting or when he's jogging. So like he might not always look like he's been putting in a lot of effort, but I honestly do think it's just that he's quite a relaxed sort of runner, um, which probably aids him to be honest of anything with his with his speed. Because um, if you're all like I don't know pumped up it sometimes as a, as a sprinter when I was a kid like it's not always best to be like really angry and and, and like that you need to be relaxed when you when you're about to run um and then yeah I, I think that there's another thing is like he's probably the second fastest player we've now got in the squad and I think he's going to be able to like hunt down and recover a lot of lost causes so balls that you think are going out he might just get to where I don't think any of our other right or left back options could could get like Shackleton's got decent speed but I don't think he'd have a chance with any of them whereas I think Spence might surprise us a few times where he manages to recover the ball there were just a few moments that that Hobbsy pointed out where he was kind of like not in kind of the it wasn't his fault it's just where he received a pass or like where the ball just ended up moving into when he he got to it um where he just wasn't quite in the right sort of position to to make another pass or cross of his own um but I don't mean that was his fault it was just like it's just the way the ball dropped, really. Um, but again, like he he is gonna get into so many good attacking, like threatening positions, just because of his pace, and uh, he really will change the dynamic of the team. I don't know if Jaden Anthony will, but I'm unsure about what this is gonna mean for sort of like other players in, in our attack. And like Spence will play right back, sure, but like who's gonna be the right winger? I'm not sure if it's gonna be Somerville, Nanto, Anthony, uh, James. I think all four might have a chance at that side in, in some game, maybe in Ruta. And then the left side, I'm not I'm not 100% sure what it's going to look like yet. I think there's a chance that Spence is on the right and, and has time to sort of, um, you know, form a partnership with another right winger, hopefully someone like Somerville. But it could easily be that Somerville plays as a 10, Anthony plays on the left and Nonto plays on the right in some games. I just wouldn't be shocked. And, and yeah, so it's, it, it's going to be different but I do think that him and Kamara on that that right side is really really gonna improve was like um Martin was just saying and and I love Archie Gray but I would like to see someone more experienced for some games with Kamara as well helping out oh good sound sounds good and sounds like hopefully over the international break um there's stuff that we can work on with the players that we've got and we're not just going to be one-dimensional hopefully um so yeah that's that's the review it's a review part of the Sheffield Wednesday nil nil draw um we have some plot pod plots we have some pods planned for the international break um and they will only be for our patrons so these pods it's going to be as mentioned earlier on the state of the squad pod where a couple of the team will be looking over the transfer window and where the squad's at what we're missing or what we feel like we're missing um what we would have liked to have seen and so if you want to listen to them please sign up at patreon.com forward slash asaw patreon and we'll be back next week for a millwall preview as well for those who aren't patron is it next week will it be next week or the week after i don't know exactly how long the international break is i think it'll be the week after but we'll also have um another one which is going to be during the international break will be the um 21s pod that's another one which is going to be done. Um, myself and Dan um, are going to be working on that. So it'll be quite a bit for our patrons over the international break. So if um, you want to access those, you know where to go. Patreon.com forward slash ASAW Patreon. I'll let Tom say that again if he likes. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So um, we've got two coming up there as mentioned. And yeah, I think if I remember correctly, we do have penciled in for next Monday to be the Millwall preview. 
Um, so that will come up for those. So have a good week. Have a good international break, everyone. Um, is it proper football, guys? Is international football proper football? It depends if it's friendlies or not, doesn't it? I think I don't know what it is. What, what, if, what if it's nation? What if it's a nations league? Oh, that doesn't count. That's a glorified <laughs> no. friendly. That is definitely doesn't count. And uh, I believe that um, our forefathers of all sorts that way, John and um, Darren, would both say that international football isn't real football anyway. <laughs> but but for John, it would be unless it's Scotland, I suppose. Nods all around. But anyway, yes. We have given you a lot of content for International Break because this has been a long pod, so thank you for sticking with us. And I want to say thank you to Martin for sticking with us as well. Uh, Thank you, thank you. And thank you, Adam. It's always lovely to see you. You are a 10 that is a 10, just so you know. Pleasure, mate. Thank you so much, as are you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. And yes, thank you, listeners. And we will see you over the International Break for those two pods and at Millwall next week. Goodbye. (laughs) 